Hey everybody, this is a special edition episode of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas to intro this special edition episode where I will bring on Jojo Gretchel, my running current events fellow nerd and track and field guru, and we're going to do three things previewing big events coming up this weekend. First of all, we'll talk about the recap from World Championships, getting our final impressions from Worlds. We'll then go into Chicago Marathon, which is coming up this Sunday. Give you our preview of that as well as our predictions. And then finish up with predictions for Elliot Kipchoge's next attempt to break two with the Ineos 159 challenge that he'll be running on Saturday morning in Vienna, which will be overnight if you're in the U.S. here on Friday night. So we're going to jump right into it and bring, a, bring JoJo on the show. Welcome, Jojo Gretchel, back to the show. How are you doing today, Jojo? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me back. I'm good. You are, of course, at Jojo underscore Shea on Twitter. Did an amazing job covering much of the remaining parts of the World Championship. So nice, nice work there for FlowTrack. Thank you. It was a crazy week. <laughs> It was, yeah. The, the second weekend, I mean, the first weekend had its moments, but I feel like the second weekend had some more fireworks with some really unbelievable performances, but we'll talk about Definitely. those Talk about those in a second. So today with this episode, we're going to do three things. We're going to recap the World Champs a little bit. We're going to talk about Chicago Marathon because that's coming up this coming Sunday, 7.30 in Chicago. So we'll preview that and give our predictions where hopefully I can get some redemption. And then we'll talk about the Elliot Kipchoge Ineos 159 attempt, which is coming overnight here on Friday and early Saturday morning in Vienna. So exciting stuff in the world of running. Let's start with the worlds though. And I don't know that I want to go event by event because that will be kind of boring because it's over. But I guess we should start with the fact that you beat me again, second straight time by two points, <laughs> holding your lead, holding cool. your lead from the first half because of Emma Coburn silver to, to basically beat me again. And uh, it's so congratulations on that. I thought, I thought I might have a chance, but ultimately Matt Sedgwick's let me down. Yeah, as soon as he ran the the opening, I guess it was the semifinal, uh, and he barely squeaked into the final, I, I think I DM'd you, and I was like, it's not going to happen for yeah. him. <laughs> it was a bad pick. <laughs> but, you know, we, we always like to give Centro a benefit of a doubt because we've seen him do crazy yeah. things before. Um, so hopefully 2020, he'll be back to his Olympic shape. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I wouldn't be surprised if Jerry moved him up to the 5K, though. That, to me, is the thing to watch. Yeah, that could be interesting. But, but yeah, and, and, and I mean, let's just start there. I mean, that was the second-to-last race on Sunday. And Timothy Churia just took it from the gun and won front-running from, from the very beginning and just blew everybody away. And I think... At some level, that did not play to Centro's strengths. I think he would have done better in a more tactical affair. 
Right. I mean, I sort of agree with that. But again, I feel like he didn't have a kick in that semifinal where everyone is sprinting for place to get into the final. I just don't think he's quite as fit as these guys. He did. He did still end up being the top American. He beat Craig. Uh, This is true. But. Yeah, interesting note from this race. Uh, McCluffy, the <laughs> 2012 champion. Um, we haven't seen him since 2016. Right. What was he even doing in this race? <laughs> well, <laughs> Wait, you know, I forgot he, about he this dusted guy. He off his EPO <laughs> syringes and he got back out there. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so weird to see someone like, you know, only race every couple of years. Well, it's not really that strange. I mean, it's a strategy, right? I mean, these guys go away. They, they keep their, the drugs in the system where they're not tested because they're not competing. And then they come back in championship events and blow everything away. I mean, it in some ways happened before 2012 when he won the gold and beat Leo Manzano there where he kind of been MIA and then suddenly shows up and, the olympics and wins gold medal and wins a gold medal and then he disappears again for four years comes back in 2016 i don't think got a medal there but now is back with a medal in 2019 it's it's really honestly ridiculous i mean i don't think there's anybody at the top of the sport that doesn't think this guy's dirty and yet he's still able to compete because effectively he's not being tested and he's not competing enough to be tested so right yeah, we should note that he's coached by Jama Aiden, who right. was busted a couple years ago uh, for having EPO, drugs in his yeah. hotel room. A full, so. a full room of EPO. So it's just absurd that that he would be allowed to compete, but he was, and it is what it is. So he ended up with the silver, and then you had a Polish guy, Marcin Lewandowski, who ended up third in a national record for Poland, beating out Jakob Ingebrigtsen, many thought was a medal favorite. And then it just kind of spread out from there with Centrowitz getting eighth and Craig Ingalls getting tenth. Did you enjoy watching this race or did you find it boring and predictable once it got going? Um, so I actually couldn't watch this race. Uh, well, that's right. You were at ACL. Working on Sunday for my other job, helping cover the at a music Austin festival. Music <laughs> festival, which hey, it was work. It was work, yeah, but it was yeah. fun. Uh, but I can, judging based on what this race looks like, it didn't seem super exciting because Chariot just killed everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, if I was to predict what would have happened, that is probably what I would have said. Yeah. Because I think he just clearly has been the best competitor over 1,500 meters this year, and it's hard to see anybody beating him. So, Right, and we both picked him. We got that right, but neither of us managed to get either of these other two, and I don't think that's any surprise, really. I don't think you could have predicted that McLuffy would get silver because he just hasn't raced. So what do you think this means for Centrowitz? I mean, as I said, I think he'll. I think Jerry could push him up to the five k, but who knows? I also don't know that Centerwitz wants to do the five k, so he might he might be resistant. Yeah. I mean, I think 
I think this year, you know, he's struggled with being fully fit and ready to go. Uh, and he was kind of, you know, still trying to get into shape the last half of the summer. Um, and was able to, you know, I mean, he ends the years, the top American, arguably, made another world final. Uh, he, ran, he ran 3.32, I, I think, a season best in the final two, which is no slouch, slouch time. Right. Yeah, I think these guys, you know, you never want to move up in distance until you absolutely have to. I also think the men's 5K team seems like a way harder team to make than the 1500, where he, even this year, you know, not especially in July at US Champs, maybe wasn't in his best shape, but still like clearly was one of the top three guys in the field. Uh, I think that's just still going to be an easier team for him to make. So I don't really see him moving to the 5K. 5K, you've got, uh, you know, I I just think that's a harder team. And he's kind of more unproven in that race. He hasn't raced a 5K that much. Also, of his, he's a lot more of the the guys he's training with in Bowerman Track Club are doing the 5k so it kind of makes sense for them to have a guy in the 1500 so they can have more people make the team i agree with you and i think we could see lopez double perhaps going going for the five and the 10 for 2020 and i think you're right they're probably going to want to spread it around and i just don't think centrowitz is a willing 5k runner so I don't think we'll see it either. I think he'll stick with the 15 and probably still be, you know, the top American qualifier potentially. I mean, Craig Ingalls obviously has shown that he can beat him. And so that, that rivalry will be interesting to see how it plays out in the next year. But I think we'll see it. I don't think we'll see Centro take that turn, even though it would be fascinating to see it, to be honest. In some ways he might have a better medal chance in the 5k at the Olympics if Chiriot's going to run like this and McClough, McClough is going to be behind him. Right. So that's the men's 5k. I mean, yeah. Well, speaking of Lopez, the other uh, men's track final was in that 10 K. What'd you think of that race? Well, it was blazing fast. First of all, with sub 27 times at the front, Lopez got a massive PR to, I think, get the second fastest American 10K time of all time. And, you know, as we both predicted, Chip Teggy was ended up getting the win, but I think he was tested a little bit more than maybe he thought he would be. Kachelka got second, which isn't a huge surprise. And then, you know, the one we both picked for second, Gebrewet, kind of faded late in that race. So I guess it didn't surprise me that much. I figured it would be fast because the Ethiopian athletes needed to keep it fast. But I was surprised at how fast it was. Yeah. What do you think? Um, didn't have too many thoughts on this race, to be honest. <laughs> you're just numb to it i mean i didn't watch it uh you know chepteki won i think i predicted him to win um yeah we both did yeah i will say though that to chepteki's credit he did some work he and his ugandan teammate 
Abdallah Kibet, who started it out leading the first 2K, kept it honest. And then at one point, at about 6K in, Chip Tegi came to the front to keep the pace honest as his teammates were falling away. So, you know, so you got to give him credit. Clearly, he was thinking about strategy and was also trying to beat the Ethiopians at their own game in a sense and was able to do that. Really impressive. The other impressive one, by the way, Mohamed, Bauman Track Club teammate of Lopez, beat him by five seconds, got a Canadian national record, breaking 27. First time ever by a Canadian. That's pretty huge. Wow. Mohamed had a great uh, championship. For sure. Got one medal and then a sixth place in the 10K. I mean, that's huge. Pretty impressive. So... But I agree with you. I agree with you in general, though. It was not that. It wasn't that interesting of a race because it it got whittled down pretty quickly, and then it's basically between the East Africans at the end. And no offense to them, but that didn't make it as much as interesting as it could have been for the Americans who were hoping that maybe Lopez would have a shot when really. When really it was just too fast for him. And, but I will say though, you know, now that he's run this massive PR 2704, I think that shows that he can compete at the, at the highest level, you know, finish seventh, but who knows in a more, in a slightly more tactical final, maybe he's up there. Maybe he can, maybe he can hang, maybe he could medal in the 10 K. And and to me, it's just good right. to see the Bowerman Track Club men finally representing w- where the women had carried carried the day for a long time for them. Right, definitely. Yeah, Lopez has really kind of bounced back this year after having some just tough tough years with injury setbacks and getting a little bit older. And um, I mean, now he's the third fastest American ever in the 10K. Um, I mean, he'll really be looking to break that 27 minute barrier this coming year, because then, you know, obviously you need to do that to be able to contend in these kind of races. Um, yeah, he actually surpassed Shadrach Kipchurcher. I'm looking at the all time list right now for Americans. So Shadrach has run 2707. And so they're the only two active guys right now who've run under 2710. Um, and then, you know, it's Galen Rupp's American record is 2644 and Chris Zielinski has run 2659. So I think, you know, once they can get under 27, look at getting under 2650. I mean, that's what you have to do to be able to medal in these types of races. Yeah, so we shall see. Those were the races you missed because you were working, air quotes, at a music festival. What <laughs> what of the races you got to see and watch and cover for Flow Track? Impressions? Any impressions? Things that stick out? Yeah, so I was glad that um, the schedule was the way it was because 
I thought the the women's finals on the Saturday, so the women's 1500 and women's 5K were a lot more exciting yep. seemingly than the men's races. Um, I mean, the 1500, I got to say, that's probably the highlight of the entire championship. Uh, we saw Sifan Hassan of the Netherlands become the first ever person to win both the 10K and the 1500 at a global championship, which, you know, calls upon just really, we knew she had a lot of range because she set the world record in the mile this year and she's run insane half marathon, won a 10K. Uh, But to do it within the span of a week is just pretty incredible. Of course, uh, her wins are also underscored by the fact that her coach was banned this week. So it is sort of hard to watch that race and know how to feel. Um, and I, I think that's what a lot of the the narrative around that final kind of became. Um, so, how, how I mean, essentially feel? she did feel? the opposite. How yeah. do I feel about it? I mean, we know she won. She ran 351, uh, six fastest. 1500 all time in a championship event she led basically the last three laps just running away from the field in the last lap right you know shelby houlihan ended up fourth in an american record 354 and change and just got destroyed by three seconds so how'd you feel i mean faith on Faith Kipyegon, the Olympic champion, set a national record for Kenya, right. and it wasn't even close. Not even close. Um, so how did you feel? Do you feel good about it? Is it exciting for you? I know you and I have a different perspective here. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to watch. Yeah, it was exciting to watch. Um, it, it does seem (laughs) it is a little off-putting to look at the all-time list and realize that the top performances um are Dababa who also was coached by Jama Aiden who we talked about a little bit earlier um who we know has dabbled in with EPO again she hasn't necessarily been failed a test um but her connections are a little bit sketchy kind of like Safan um, and then the other women who are even close are uh, Chinese women who are coached um, by Ma, Coach Ma, um, who was notorious for doping his athletes right. and some Eastern European athletes. So it's not great company to be in. Um, <laughs> again, though, she <laughs> hasn't failed a drug test. So can you really... Can we condemn her? I don't think we really can. She pointed that out in the press conference, which I refer to that as the Lance Armstrong defense, because that's what he used to always say. Never failed a drug test. And I think at this point we know that because of the way the testing works, you're not going to fail a drug test unless you're dumb about it. So I don't know that that gives me any faith. The other question I had here, and I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if you look at Salazar's history, you know, he brought on Mo Farah and then those athletes that he coaches other than Rupp and Jordan Hesse have primarily been 
international athletes. All you know, a lot of the U.S. athletes in that group are co- coached by P. P. Julian right. and are middle distance athletes. And so, my question is: Are they subject to the same doping controls that USADA provides these international athletes that are running under the Oregon Project? Farah was there. Now you have Hassan, you have Kachelka, you have Klosterhalfen, or are they not? You know, so when they're working in the U.S. or when, you know, sometimes they go, Mo used to go train in Ethiopia. When they're in those other places or even when they're in the U.S., are they getting tested by USADA or are they tested by their home country doping governing body? That's mm-hmm. a- I mean, does USADA have jurisdiction to test I don't know. foreign athletes i mean just because they, i mean i don't i don't i wouldn't think right. they are right and so if that's true and I, again i don't know but if it is true does that mean that you know part of the reason why salazar started bringing on these international athletes is so that he could kind of work outside the rules and boundaries of usada which was investigating him and so now he has more leeway to skirt the rules because he's not his athletes from these other countries aren't under the same scrutiny that he's been receiving from USADA and so that to me I find kind of fishy to be honest Um, I mean honestly watching this race it made me really sad that's that's my reaction I I don't believe in Hassan I've talked about that before I do believe in Shelby Houlihan again any athlete can be dirty we can't know yes or no on anybody, and so I'm not saying Hassan is dirty and Houlihan is not. I'm just saying personally, I believe in Houlihan. I do not believe in Hassan. So to see her run her mind, you know, out and get a massive PR in the American record and still finish fourth, the dreaded fourth, the place of metal upgrades, where maybe eight years from now we we see that she should be upgraded. I mean, that's just really heartbreaking. And it actually made me think, I I had an idea about this. I'm like, you know what? Maybe we need four medal places. Maybe we need, maybe we need to have a fourth place medal and (laughs) make it some other metal, make it nickel or I don't know, copper or something. And just give that fourth place person a medal that way they at least have something knowing that in a few years we might find that one or two of those athletes ahead of her, you know, are busted for (laughs) drugs. So that was something I was thinking about watching this race. Just really sadness for Houlihan, who I think is doing it the right way. And in general, I believe in the Bowerman Track Club group. So, there you go. But I hate to be a party pooper, but it's just true. I can't help myself. And I don't I, I don't think it pays to be naive either. I think you have to be eyes wide open. And I said this on my podcast that I released on Monday. Any performance that is out of this world, like Hassan's, and even like I would say Sarah Hall, who raced Berlin and ran 222 and then won the 10 mile champs. I think any performance that seems too good to be true, you have to question. And you may still arrive at okay, a okay conclusion, but to me, one of the best ways to find cheaters is to look at performances that just don't seem possible. 
So I'll get off my soapbox there. Let's switch to the women's 5K. You correctly predicted Obiri would win, and she did. It was also a big part of why you beat me. I had Klosterhofen winning. She ended up third. What did you think about this one? Uh, this was a fun race to watch. Really exciting. Um, final 400. I think it was those top three were all still together at the Bell Lab, right? Um, I'm yep. trying to remember. Um, yeah. I mean, I yeah, just, but Obiri had taken initiative. Right. Yeah, I mean, the other two were still in it. Um, yeah, I just remember Obiri. Um, yeah, you could kind of see like Klosterhofen's form starting to disintegrate. Um, like she was still there, but she was starting to look bad. Um, and Obiri looked really strong. Uh, I mean, I think she kind of did a similar thing in 2017 to win Worlds. I know we hadn't seen quite those type of results from her this year, so it seemed a little bit more of a risk to pick her, but I think she's a really good championship racer, and she proved that. For sure. She's tough. She is tough. I mean, well, so do you feel the same way, though, about... Klosterhofen? Oh, yeah, for sure. You do about Safan? Yeah, for sure. I mean, some of her results this year have been out of this world. Not this one, necessarily, but, I mean, she got second in the Diamond League 1500. Some of her indoor results, I think, were questionable. And she's, I mean, to me, anybody in Oregon Project deserves question. That may not, you know, and they may not all be dirty, but I think Colster Olfen has had some crazy results this year and some results that don't seem to match her prior progression, which is always a red flag. She faded here, though, so I guess in some ways that showed a chink in the armor. But the thing about Obiri that I admire is just that she always seems to be able to go deeper. <laughs> she seems to go deeper than anybody else in the field. We saw it at Club or at uh, World Cross. We saw it here. She fell apart in the 10K or a little earlier than I expected. But I think the 10K is still a relatively new event to her on the track. And so I can explain that away. But I really shouldn't have bet against her here, and I did. Um, also, the, the Americans finished really well yes. here um obviously not near the front group but i mean the two americans that were in this race carissa schweizer and uh l purrier they're both first year pros and both you know i thought did really well considering they're right out of the ncaa system uh purrier got 11th place ran under 15 minutes for the first time i think in what's her third or I think her races at worlds were her third and fourth ever 5k in her whole career uh pretty impressive 1458 for her uh Schweizer snuck into that top 10 took ninth running 1445 which is the fifth fastest time ever by an American um 
you know, the only people who have run faster, it puts her in pretty elite company. Um, the only people who have run faster are Shelby Houlihan, Shannon Robery, Molly Huddle, Shalane Flanagan, uh, all of whom are, you know, among the top all time runners in U.S. history. So um, I thought that was a really great start for her. And yeah, no, it's impressive to yeah. PR in both races, prelim and final. And to run that fast at her age is unbelievable. She is someone to watch. Unfortunately, though, the 5K is, and at the international level is just really tough. I mean, you've got to basically be able to yeah. run 14-20-something in order to sniff a medal. And that's just a tall order, unfortunately, for everybody but Shelby Houlihan. So... The only races we haven't talked about at this point are the men's steeple, men's marathon. To be honest, neither of them were really that interesting to me personally. The, the steeplechase, the steeplechase was a good finish. Uh, I mean, one of the closest finishes I've ever seen. Photo finish. Yep. But it's frustrating for me to see Consensus Caputo, as we predicted, winning when he had been not doing so well throughout the Diamond League season. And again, whenever I see that, it just, to me, begs suspicion. It's like, why are you, you know, I, I just don't buy the storyline of injury and then suddenly he comes back and he's the best in the world. I just, I don't get it. More or less the same thing happened last year as well in the Diamond League final where he had not really performed that great and then all of a sudden came out and won the diamond league final and i just i just don't buy him to be honest but my cynicism is probably getting old at this point but we did correctly pick him winning he did win in a photo finish over the ethiopian that we didn't predict would be there and in i think it was gurma and and yeah, Elbakali was there. He ended up third, which I did predict. So decently close on this men's steeple. And then the men's marathon, Lisa DeCisa stayed in the race, finished it, and won. So he now becomes the first man ever to win the world champs, win Boston, and win New York. That's a pretty big deal. I'm surprised he finished because I assume he'll still be defending his title in New York in a few weeks. I think that will be tough considering the situation, but yeah. hey, he's got a gold, you know, world gold medal. So I, I doubt he's that sad about it. And he's probably still getting paid heft, a hefty sum just to finish New York. So doesn't necessarily matter what he may, what place he gets there for the appearance fees for that defending champ. I have to confess, I'm actually just looking at the marathon results for the first time. Okay. And our man, Callum Hawkins, got fourth. He did. Again. He did, yes. Again. That probably was the most impressive result of the men's marathon. And you, you almost you <laughs> almost predicted him, you know, being man, on the podium. I, thought that was being I mean, I kind of was just picking him because he's sort of that guy who was just able to do it yeah. a couple years ago. I really expected him to be further down the list. So for him to actually get fourth again is pretty wild. It is impressive, what especially in the- Jeffrey Carui. He didn't do that well. Well, he faded 
he was in the mix for a, a long time, and I thought in some points he looked stronger than everybody else, but he faded when everything got got uh, when everything started heating heating up, and then he faded pretty badly. It, it looked to me like he just quit at some point because he was he was yeah. definitely close to the front for most of the race. Yuki was in there too. Yep. Oh, you know what? I think we both predicted Elkana Cabet to be the top American. We right? did, and I think we were wrong. Yep. Ahmed Osman. Yep. We have to figure out who this guy is. But yep. congrats, Ahmed. So so there you go. Worlds is over. I would say even though there were no crowds to entertain in the stadium itself. It was an entertaining world. If you were watching the feeds yes. from here, even with the unbelievable performances, there was lots to talk about. A lot of, I think, encouraging performances as well from athletes that you can believe in. So this one will go down in history in a lot of ways, but I doubt we'll be back to Doha anytime soon. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears to Chicago Marathon going off this Sunday, 7.30 a.m. Chicago time. So that's 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern on NBC Sports Gold is where it will be live streamed. So you can check it out there. I was doing my preview and prediction homework today, and I was kind of unimpressed by the fields, to be honest. They really aren't that deep especially if you compare it to what you have in New York, what you just had in Berlin, and what you usually have in London and Boston. This is, I would say, really thin on the women's side and pretty thin on the men's side as well, in my opinion. The We'll start with the men. The, the story here, I think, is you've got four previous major champions who are all going to be battling it out for another major championship. You've got, of course, defending champion Mo Farah, who won last year and who was fifth in London. He had his fastest half before a marathon leading up in this cycle where he ran 59.07 at the Great North Run there in the UK. So he's at least on form to run a fast half. Then, of course, you've got Rupp, Galen Rupp, who won two years ago in 2017 and who we haven't seen anything from since he had his Achilles surgery. So it's hard to know what shape he's in, but he's run 206. He's run this race before, won this race before. You have a guy by the name of Dixon Chumba who won Chicago in 2015. He's also won Tokyo. He won Tokyo last year, finished third in Tokyo this year. He's also been on... In Chicago, he's been on each spot of the podium. He's been first, second, and third at varying times. So he has to be a top contender. Then you have Lawrence Chirono, the fastest PR in the field, who was dominant in Boston, where he won this this year and then has six wins in the last four years across a bunch of different races, has run a 204. So he's probably the class of the field, at least in terms of recent results. 
those four major champion, former major champions, and then you have a handful of others that may be up there, including a couple of Ethiopian athletes who've run 204, Asefa Mingstu, and then Seifu Tura, and then another Kenyan athlete who's run 206, Baden Kiroki, who could also vie for the podium. But beyond that, no real Americans who will be competing for the top spot. They'll be competing to hopefully run low 210 to 11, including Scott Smith, Diego Estrada, Andrew Bumbleo, Parker Stenson, and Noah Girardi. So that's a pretty good overview of the men's field, just speaking about it at a high level. What do you think, JoJo? Yeah, I mean, I think what um, a lot of us are going to be focusing on is sort of Mo versus Galen, although uh, obviously the other couple guys you mentioned will also be in it. Um, but again, just with the whole uh, Salazar band storyline, um, it'll be really interesting to see how these guys do. Uh, I mean, Galen Rupp hasn't raced in a really long time, and usually he does some kind of tune-up, so it's really hard to know what to think about him. Um, Yes, we don't know where we're getting there. But I would also think he would not show up and start the race if he didn't think he could do well. Right. Of course, now he doesn't even have his coach to help him with that decision. So it's going to be interesting for him. It's also, he he hasn't, as far as I know, faced interviews yet related to Salazar. I think it was smart of Jordan Hesse, who did an interview with Runner's World, to go ahead and get that out of the way where she answered a bunch of the Salazar questions in an article that went up earlier this week. I thought she was really straightforward in answering those questions. And I think that will serve her well before she shows up at the press conferences and faces those questions again. Whereas Rupp's going to get those questions for the first time. He has released a statement saying he supports Salazar and so forth, but he hasn't faced the questions yet. And that could be really frustrating on that. Usually what is a Friday before the race? I don't think Rupp has a chance to win. If I'm being honest, I think even, even if he is full strength, I think Farah and Chumba and Toronto and probably even Kiroki are better than he is. So, I'm not going to pick her up on the podium. Would you disagree? Um, yeah, again, it's just hard to really know. Uh, would I pick him for the win? No, but, I mean, he doesn't have a good track record when it comes to marathons. I think his worst ever marathon, except, you know, excluding Boston uh, 2018, was fifth at this race last year. So... Uh, but then again, I feel like him not doing a tune-up race shows that maybe he wasn't ready to do a tune-up race. Um, right. I feel like the podium is possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he would show up if he wasn't ready. And when he's ready, I think he is that caliber of athlete. But you know how this works, JoJo. You're going to have to make a choice at some point. <laughs> I know. Well, I told you before so this, I just still, don't. still thinking. Uh, I don't want to make predictions. I don't want to make predictions yeah, well, for this race. I'm going to make prepared. you, but but fair enough. Okay, you say Rupp Capodium potentially. I say no. 
and by the way, for those that will be watching, you should know that the pacemakers are likely to go out in a sub 205 pace. At least that's the current plan, assuming the weather holds. And it looks like the weather should be good for Chicago based on current forecasts. It's looking to be in in the 40s at the start, which in my opinion is pretty ideal for marathon racing. There could be some windy conditions, but Chicago's a loop course, so that typically kind of, you know, goes away or is not a huge deal because some points it's on the side of you, some points it's at your back, sometimes it's in the face, but they have pacemakers to potentially break the wind if that is an issue. So I don't think, you know, I don't think weather will be a big deal right now. It's showing a 45 temperature at the start, which I think would be perfect for these guys to run fast, which, which I think we'll see. I think, you know, I think they'll, those pacemakers should do their job, get this thing out in 102.30, 102.45, potentially in the first half. And then, you know, and then everybody will close from there. And part of the question is, is that going to be, will Rep go with that or will he not? You know, is, is that going to be too hot for him considering that he hasn't raced in a year or not? I think that'll be something to watch early. I think you'll definitely have these other East Africans running with those pacers because all of them have PRs in the 204 to 206 range. So those paces shouldn't be anything that would that would break up this pack too early. And then the question becomes, who makes a move and when? Last year, Farah was the one that ended up making the definitive move and really kind of blew everybody away over the final 5K. Will he be able to do that again? Or will somebody like Lawrence Chirono make the move who was the aggressor in Boston late in that race? If I'm going to predict this one, I think it's hard to bet against Chirono coming off that Boston win and with the fastest PR in the race. So I'm picking him for number one. I'll pick Farah for second. And I'll go Dixon Chumba for another third place finish in Chicago. One, two, three. And if I had to bet on Rupp, I think he'll be outside the top four. Okay. I'm going to go... Farah, Chirono, Rupp. All right. Going with an American there. I like it. I doubt you, but it's not, you know, got to be bold, right? You did beat me in the <laughs> last two prediction contests, so maybe you know something I don't, but hopefully I can win one back. On the American side, I think this is fascinating to watch how the Americans do, and this will be really the race within the race. Ben Rosario, the head coach of the NAZ Elite team, said that they will have pacemakers for this top American group, and they're likely going to go out in low 210 to 211 pace, depending on what everybody decides the night before or the day before. So... They'll be going out at a pace that's going to be PR pace for a lot of these guys. And the reason I think this race is important is because it will potentially create that favorite, so to speak, for or one of those favorites for making the team in Atlanta next year. 
And if you could run low 210 here in what will be a potentially pretty wide open field to make the top three for the men at least at the Olympic trials, then that would set you up well to do something big, potentially make a team next year. Scott Smith is Scott Fobble's teammate in NAZ Elite. Right. He's been up there before, but hasn't quite had the marathon breakthrough he's looking for. Faded a little bit at New York last year. You had you have Diego Estrada, who's been running at the top of the U.S. packs on the road for a long time. Andrew Bumbelo, whose last marathon was actually Boston 2018 in the crazy weather where he did actually finish. I think he finished, I want to say top five there, but hasn't been able to run a marathon since because of some injuries. Parker Stinson, who's made waves in marathons going out really fast at the U.S. Marathon Champs, but hasn't been able to put it all together to run low 210. And Noah Drotti, who has all the talent in the world, has shown it at the half distance, but who hasn't yet put together a marathon either. Who do you think the top U.S. runner will be? Uh, you mean behind Rupp? Behind Rupp, yes. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think it's... I kind of want to go with Parker Stinson. Uh, you know, I think we've seen him kind of go out too hard in previous marathons uh, and die and pay for it later a little bit. Uh, he's been training with Dathan Ritzenhain and who I, w- I was reading a let's run interview with Ritz and Ritz was singing his praises um I'm going to say that a year after running 214 at Chicago, he cuts three minutes off that time and finishes as the next American after Rupp. All right. You're going with Stenson. I think he's figured out. I like Parker Stenson, by the way, local Austin area product. Went to Cedar Park High School. So has that local connection. Is a really tough runner who is – Definitely someone to watch. If I had to pick the next American, assuming Rupp's fi- uh, Rupp finishes, he he will. I think if Rupp finishes, he'll be the first American. But next American, I like Scott Smith, and they're the elite teammate of Scott Fobble. I think Ben Rosario is one of the great American marathon coaches, and has done and worked run wonders with Scott Fobble himself, running that 209 at Boston and. I'm hoping that we get something big out of Scott Smith here from that team. So I'll pick Scott Smith first or second American for my prediction. All right. All right. Let's switch to the women's field, which, as I said, I think is is, is pretty thin. Usually you have a decent number, decent number of East Africans. Really, there's only one in this race, which is Bridget Kosky, who is the defending champion, won this race in 218 last year, also won London earlier this year, so she's on quite a roll. So the question is, can Bridget Kosky run her third straight or win her third straight world major? And, of course, you've got 
Jordan Essay, top American, five PRs in the field, who's finished third here two years ago, 2017, and has finished third in Boston twice in 2017 and then earlier this year in 2019. Betsy Sena, the Iowa State product who has won Paris, but has kind of been hit or miss in marathon so far. She won Paris in 2018, but then finished 10th at Boston this year. So hasn't necessarily shown that she could put all the pieces together consistently for the marathon. And then if you look at the other athletes with the top PRs, you've got Maddie Perez, who is a Mexico is from Mexico, who has a 222 PR, but it's really old PR. So I don't think we can necessarily count on her as a podium threat. Lisa Waitman, the Australian, has run 225. But that comes from a 2017 race. Beyond that, you've got some Americans that could be in the mix. Laura Thweet, who trains with Joe Bossard's group there in in Boulder and Colorado, or at Boulder and Crested Butte. Emma Bates, who's run, quote-unquote, just a 228, but has shown great potential as the reigning U.S. Marathon champion. Stephanie Bruce, of course, who's run 229 and you know has a solid pedigree and only seems to be getting faster with age. And then Lindsey Flanagan, who's also run 229, who I believe you've interviewed. Those are the other top Americans. Yes. So you know, typically these fields are stacked with East Africans at the very front, but you only have one, the defending champ, and then it's everybody else. And I think that leaves it wide open for the second and third spots on this podium. What do you think? And and I'll start by asking you, what do you think Jordan Hesse might bring to this race? Yeah, so Jordan's interesting. Um, she has, the past couple of years, she's very publicly said that she wants to go after uh, Dina Castor's American record in the marathon, um, which would be a 219. Um, I think in the, the latest interview she did, the Runner's World interview, she walked that back a little bit and said that, you know, she's not putting a time goal on anything um, to take a little bit of the pressure off. But that's still, you know, maybe something that we can watch for in this race. Uh, I mean, Jordan has a great history at marathons. So I do think anytime she's entered in a major, she should be looked at as someone who has a good chance of making the podium. And especially looking at how watered down this field is, I think that's definitely true for this weekend. Um, I think Bridget Koski is definitely going to be the big favorite for this race to defend her title. Um, but yeah, I think I think Jordan's going to run really well this weekend. Did you read the Runner's World article? I did. Reactions on how she answered the questions about Salazar? Uh, I mean, all these things, you know, the athletes say what you would expect they would say. Um you know, we sort of already know a lot of this stuff. He was like a father figure to her. She was surprised to hear, uh, you know, they had heard about some of the, the court proceedings, but thought it was going to go in their favor. Huge shock, all this stuff. 
Uh, I mean, the more, I guess the most interesting takeaway from that was the fact that she said, I mean, I did know that she mostly lives in California and that like, she's been pretty public about that. She doesn't actually live in Portland and she only goes there um, sparingly. Uh, But I was surprised to read that she actually is pretty in charge of her own training too. Like she kind of writes her own workouts and then would talk to Salazar and consult with him. Um, So it doesn't sound like her routine will be that affected, uh, especially if what she says is true. And on race day, they, you know, they don't even talk to each other. So maybe she won't really miss that uh, coach support on the day of the race. Um, (laughs) The skeptic. The skeptic, the skeptic in me, yeah, the skeptic like in me kind of laughed at that, though, because my thought process was, is she just trying to distance herself? And, you know, is it really true? Or is she just trying to distance herself from the story and say, no, no, I've been training in California and we're at my own workouts. Uh, you know, is that really true? Or is that... Is yeah, that just well, she has, been saying that. she has been publicly saying that. She has been publicly saying that for like two years that she actually spends most of her time in well, California. So that's that not new. Part is sort of, um, hold on, hold on. That part is sort of again, true, like, Jojo. Just, because I remember before she dropped out of Boston in 2017, or sorry, 2018 with the stress fracture that she confirmed, I guess, on race weekend. She said that she said she was training in California. And then afterwards, after she was diagnosed with the stress fracture, she also said, but I'll probably be training more in Portland. So Alberto can keep a closer eye on me. So this injury doesn't happen again. I kind of got away, you know, I kind of got carried away training on my own in California. And so she, at at least at some point that summer training for Chicago again, or Chicago in 2018, she said, I'll be spending more time in Portland because so Salazar can can make sure I don't overdo it. So I don't know. Part of me just thinks she's just trying to distance herself here, and and that's you know the smart PR move here. Is it really true? Who really knows? But I'm also just a cynic. Well, I mean that's what I'm saying. You read the interview; it's not. There's no like major takeaways because. They say all the things that you would expect them to say. Fair. But, you know, it does sound like she's fit. She did back away from the idea of going after the American record, it seemed like, in that that interview. But I think this one's going to be interesting. We don't know yet what the pacemakers are going to do. But it just seems like the only three athletes that could really go on a faster pace would be Koski, Hase, and Sena. And so are they going to have a little pace group that's just those three? And if so, what pace are they going to take? It would seem like Koski would want it to be fast, you know, 218, 2819, 219, which would probably be too rich for Hase and Sena. But I can't imagine they're going to have three different pace groups, you know, or two different pace groups for three women. So that that you know that that part I think right. is going to be the interesting part. Does does Kosgi have her own pacemaker and just go off the front by herself? Does she start with a more conservative pace with pacemakers with Hase and Sena and then just blow everybody away at some point? That to me is kind of the most interesting part of this race is how it starts and how long Kosgi 
kind of plays around with them before she decides to just take it. I mean, from what you've seen from her before, she's she likes to be pretty aggressive. So, you know, so I could imagine this being the the Kosgi show from pretty from pretty early on. And and then does that leave Hase and Sena in the sort of no woman's land, making it hard to to sustain something, but knowing that they can still pretty easily get on the podium by running something in the 222-223 range. So that that to me is kind of the most interesting part of this race is what happens at the front and the dynamics with those three women and, right. and the pacers. And then after that, it's wide open. I mean, you know, Sena has proven that sometimes she can yeah. fall apart. She's DNF several marathons. Hase is, seems to be tough, you know, and if she shows up and starts, then that's a sign that she's healthy and generally has shown up well, finishing on the podium in her last three world major starts. So I don't think she could be discounted. I think it'll be interesting to see what Emma Bates does, to be honest. I I could see her being really aggressive. And she certainly has the talent to run a low 220-something. Yeah, marathon. I was thinking that too. So it would be fascinating to see if she just goes out with Jordan, tries to hang on for dear life, and maybe shocks the world and ends up doing really well and running 220 low. So she would be the one of the other Americans that I think could have a really big breakthrough that, that'll be really interesting. What do you think? I picked first on the men. You pick first on the women. Okay. Well, this this feels like easy because I feel like there's really three top women and then everybody else. Um, although Betsy is a little hard to bet on because she's so inconsistent. But uh, I'm going to go with Koski, Hase, Sena. Although I could see someone else getting third. Um, yeah, that's my pick. Yeah. It's it's hard for me to argue with one two. I'm gonna go Koski Hase as well. One two and Jordan finally gets that second spot on the podium. For third, I think the natural choice is Sena. She definitely has the next next best pedigree. But we just never know. I just never know what I'm gonna get from her. And I, I would love to see some someone like Emma Bates sneak sneak up there with a breakout performance and suddenly put her name in in discussions for the top at the trials in February. Will it happen? I don't know. That's a fairly big jump. Although Sarah Hall just jumped from 226 to 222, so it's not unprecedented to make a big jump like that. So why not? Let's do it. Let's throw Emma Bates on there in third. Wow, that'd be huge. I was going to pick her as the, the top non Hase American. She seems tough. Yeah. She is. So we agree there. But but if Sana finishes, then she probably gets third, and you're probably right. I think I think really I'm only right, and, and maybe only right, if Sana drops out. So I right. have to root for that. But it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see, and that gives us a little differentiation there. It wouldn't be any fun to pick same picks all right so that's exactly. chicago go check it out again 7 30 central time on sunday and 
hopefully I can gain some small bit of redemption on our picks here. Let's talk about the Ineos 159 attempt for Elliot Kipchoge, which will be going off. We're releasing this on a Thursday. It's going to be going off Friday night or at least overnight on Friday here in the U.S. and early Saturday morning in Vienna. I don't think they've solidified an exact time yet. They've just given a window for the start. Right now it's slated between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. Vienna time, which would be between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. Eastern, I believe. So if you're going to watch it from the U.S., you're going to have to do it while losing sleep. I believe it's being streamed online via YouTube, from what I understand, as there is an official Ineos YouTube channel. And I'll link to that in the show notes. I think NBC Sports Gold, I believe, is also streaming it. And from what I understand, it could be on the Olympic channel if you have cable with the Olympic channel. So Kipchoge, he's got 41 pacers to try to break two this time. Last time he missed it by 25 seconds in the Nike-sponsored version of this. And they're bringing back most of the same tricks with the drafting and the phalanx of, of pacemakers to help him do it. This time, they've added a crowd dynamic as they're doing it in downtown Vienna. And Kipchoge, that's one thing he wanted was to get some energy out there. And so they'll have people watching and cheering and they're doing it on a pretty simple it's kind of an out and back section in Vienna that has a basically a roundabout at each end that they'll circle around and head back the other way so a pretty straightforward course and and then the start and finish are just a little bit of an offshoot off of one of the roundabouts on one end so what do you think? If you had to predict, will Kipchoge do it this time? Uh, yeah, I think he will. Uh, the shoes are a little bit better. He only has to shave. He doesn't have to, what, 20 seconds off the time? 25 seconds. Yeah, I think he gets it done. Yeah. It's hard to bet against. I've, I think I've bet against Kipchoge before, and I was wrong because he always seems to deliver whether it be winning majors setting world records or even really on the first sub two attempt you know I, I honestly didn't think he'd get anywhere close and he darn near darn nearly did it missed it by a second less than a second per mile so I agree with you I think he does it this time the weather is also slightly more favorable I think the one thing that they had against him in Monza was a slightly warmer temperature and a slightly higher humidity than they had hoped. And it looks like the weather's going to be perfect in Vienna for this, starting, I think, in the upper 40s versus, I believe, in Monza, they started in the in the low 50s. So it's going to be slightly cooler, which should provide an advantage. I saw a tweet from Ross Tucker, who he's, you could follow him under the, the handle at Science of Sport. And he follows these things and has really fascinating science on a lot of sport elements, but particularly marathoning. And he said, you know, if you if you figure that he can get about 90 seconds from the shoes, 
and about 90 seconds from the drafting elements, the pacers as well as the pace car that they'll have. That's three minutes, meaning that he has to run the equivalent of a 203 marathon in order to get it done. And he's done that before. So without without those conditions in an open race with you know much more what many more variables at play. So so really at the end of the day, you know, it's, it seems to be well within his capability as an athlete if you account for the advantages that he's receiving by having it set up this way, which tells me that really the only thing in his way could potentially be someone in the organizing team or the pace groups messing things up for him. You know, that's a lot of pacers, 41 pacers. There's a lot of people to rely on, to coordinate, to make sure everything's dialed in correctly. And I know Nike went to all sorts of painstaking detail to do that for their attempt. Will all of those pieces be in play this time? I would assume they would have it planned to the to the nth degree. But to me, the only thing that could stand in his way would be something from a logistical standpoint messing up which would which would really suck to lose it that way are you gonna stay up and watch it no way no No way i will watch a replay but there's no way my sleep is too precious these (laughs) these days with three kids at home plus i've got to get up early for a tough long run with a workout on saturday morning so i will be checking on twitter when i wake up on saturday to see if he did it and i'll be re-watching it on the replays later. What about you? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I watched, I did watch the first one live. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it's, it's staying up. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. Too late. I also watched the first one live, not the whole thing, but I tuned in for the second half and I found it riveting and I wish, I wish there was a way to, to get it more in prime time for us, but yeah, I think, they're doing the right thing to try to get it in the right early morning weather window over there. It also seems like Enios is more focused on marketing this in the in Europe than they are here. We've seen a little less buzz because Nike isn't at the forefront. But but anyway, it is still fascinating, and it's also fascinating to see some of the Pacers. I think all of the Ingebrigtsen brothers are in in there to help pace. Paul Chalimo's in there to help pace. Salomon Borrega, who was the top finisher in the five. And uh, is out there too. Yeah, they said I, I saw that, but then he wasn't in the picture that they posted of all the pacemakers. So I wonder uh, if if he just somehow missed the picture. But yeah, he may be out there. Uh, Bernard Lagat's going to be out there helping. So it'll be fascinating to watch the replay. <laughs> but I'm rooting for Kipchoge. I do happen to believe in him. Wasn't I was previously a skeptic, but. If you just watch the way that man operates, it's it's hard to doubt him. So I hope he does it, and I think it'll it'll pave the way for future breakthroughs in the marathon. So I'm cheering I'm cheering for him. I would also like to see him though next come race in New York or Boston, come stateside for a race. That would be my that would be that would be my hope. So there you go. Hopefully that was entertaining. Thanks Jojo for joining me yet again. And hopefully this prepped you for your flow track Chicago preview that you're working on. Yeah, time to go finish writing. 
stay but, uh, stay tuned stay tuned for jojo's preview on chicago via flow track i'm sure you'll share that on twitter again at jojo underscore shay that's s-h-e-a follow her she's a good follow not just for for running news but also other randomly entertaining stuff <laughs> including all things Lizzo, including all things lizzo this past weekend and casey musgraves yes yes <laughs> so Austin, anyway texas Yep. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again. Thanks, Jojo. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. There you go. Jojo Gretchel, everyone, helping me preview Chicago, preview Elliot Kipchoge's attempt at breaking two, as well as, of course, cover off on the world's recap. We'll wrap it here. I wanted to apologize for the sound on this. For some reason, my remote recording interface is not working well on my side. So I apologize for that little bit of static that you're getting on my sound. I've got to figure that out for these remote interviews and discussions. So apologize if that was bothering you. I will figure that out. Otherwise, of course, thank you as always for listening. You can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.